So today we're continuing our walk through the Lord's Prayer. And we've reached a point in the Lord's Prayer where the focus shifts. Jesus teaches us to pray for ourselves. Now, some of you are thinking, oh, good, this is what I've been waiting for. There's something interesting in in the heart and mind of most people when we think about prayer. Even though we want to pray for ourselves, I think for most people, there's this, this guilty feeling that washes over us when we do pray for ourselves. Uh, There are many people who think that that you really shouldn't ever pray for yourself. You should only pray for other people. You should pray for world peace and for your best friend's grandmother who got a bad case of the shingles, but never for yourself. With rare exception, you're allowed to pray for yourself in just two circumstances. Number one, if you're really, really sick. Not just if you're mildly sick. Not just with like, you know, normal COVID. Only with long COVID can you pray for yourself. And if you're being attacked by a bear. That's it. Those are the only times... That you can pray for yourself. Every other time, if you pray for yourself, you are being selfish. How dare you? Now, even though we we tend to think this way, and some people may even assert this, don't buy into it. Instead, listen to Jesus, who tells us to pray for ourselves. Listen again to what he says. Matthew chapter 6. He says, pray then like this. Give us this day our daily bread. Now, one of the things that's important to keep in mind is that in first century Palestine, bread was a powerful cultural metaphor. Jesus is not encouraging us to pray merely for carbs and gluten. Jesus is encouraging us to pray for the essential, fundamental parts and pieces of daily life, the things you need in order to be okay on a daily basis in God's world. That's that's what bread represented. And so think for a minute about what Jesus is inviting us to do. He's inviting you to pray for yourself, to pray for the little things, the everyday things, the essential things. Think for a moment. What do you need today in order to be okay today? Let's just assume that that we're all also going to think of an end to all war, an end to all hunger, World peace, the eradication of cancer, all of that, not to diminish it, but putting that aside for a moment, what else, I'm talking on a molecular level of your life, do you need today in order to be okay today? You need a couple of good meals. You probably need some some decent conversation with another human being. You need breath in your lungs. You need some clothes on your body. If you've got little ones in your house, you need them to miraculously take some kind of nap that they haven't took in years, but it happens today. I mean, that'd be amazing. You need that today, don't you? What do you need today in order to be okay today? What is it? Jesus invites his followers to pray for those things for ourselves. Now, if you really wrestle with this, a question starts to to float to the surface. And the question is, why? Why would Jesus encourage us to pray for these things? These things that that very often God gives to us whether we pray for them or not. Think about it. Odds are, when you wake up tomorrow, odds are that you will have breath in your lungs. Whether you pray for it or not, you'll have a bagel for breakfast. Whether you pray for it or not, you'll wake up in a world where there's, there's opportunity and there's resources and blessings abound, whether you pray for it or not. So why does Jesus tell us to pray for this daily bread? I mean, Jesus himself in the previous chapter, prior to Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says this. 
He says, I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Here's the key part for today. For he, the father, makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. What Jesus is saying is God gives the basics to basically everybody, whether you pray for them or not. So why do we pray for daily bread? I would offer this to you. Maybe the reason that Jesus invites us, encourages us, you could even say teaches, commands us to pray for the fundamental basics of daily life that are so often given yet easily overlooked is because when we pray for ourselves, it's not so much about getting something but about becoming someone. We are instructed to pray for ourselves not with a focus primarily on getting the thing, but on becoming a certain person. I mean, it's parenting 101, right? I mean, remember the context of this prayer. Jesus says, pray to our Father. So, so God is the Father, we are the children. And this is parenting 101. There are certain fundamental essentials that you provide to your children whether they ask for them or not, especially when they're younger. Like when they're six years old and they're getting ready to go off to another day of kindergarten, there's certain things that you're going to be you're going to be sure to provide them with. You're going to be sure to provide them with a full belly, a body that doesn't stink, and pants that they're actually wearing, which some days is harder than others, you have to admit, with small children. You're going to give them these things whether they ask for them or not. But, but here's what you also know as a parent, that it's good for them to ask for those things that you're going to provide anyway. It's not as though you won't give them if they don't ask, but more, you are concerned about the kind of person they'll become if they never appreciate it, if they never ask. And so you encourage a please and a thank you and a may I and a can I from children for things that you're going to give to them anyway. Because it's not about the things, it's about shaping their heart. And so you encourage them to ask. Well, God is up to the same work in your life and mine. Why does Jesus tell us to pray for daily bread that 99% of the time he's going to give to us whether we ask for it or not? Because it's not about getting the thing, it's about shaping our heart. It's not about getting something, it's about becoming someone. So then the question now becomes this, well, who is, who is God through these prayers for daily bread, through this prayer for myself, who is God trying to mold and shape me into? What is he up to in my life and yours when we, we humble ourselves and we offer prayers like this? Good question. Uh, the first thing I would say is this, when, when we are willing to pray a prayer for ourselves, for daily bread, we are reoriented to the reality of our deep and utter dependence upon God. We are reoriented to the reality of our deep dependence upon God. Uh, one of the, the many fantastic lies that we like to tell ourselves as broken human beings is that we are self-sufficient. Or to put it in kind of modern words, we like to say to ourselves, I got this. A challenge that arises, a need that uh, makes itself known. We, we say, I've got it within myself to, to meet this need, to rise to this challenge, to do this thing. We are, we are fiercely independent and we play down our dependence and we, we overplay, we overemphasize 
our deep need for others, and especially our need for God. When you see this in, in children, a child is, as young as two years old has two phrases that are their favorites. The first phrase that is their favorite is, it's mine, it's mine. The second phrase that's their favorite is, I will do it, finish it for me, by myself. It's mine, and I will do it by myself. Who hasn't had the joy of trying to teach a two-year-old how to color within the lines, only to have them grab the crayon from you and say, I will do it by myself, I got this. And you think to yourself, oh, you, you, you walk around like you're drunk and you go to the bathroom in your pants, but sure, you've got this all figured out. Again, think of it from God's perspective. He's the father, we're the child. So often we go through our adult lives, we are grabbing the crayon as we build our careers, as we raise our families, as we buy our home, as we have all of our fun as adult Americans. And we are saying, I've got this, I will do this by myself. And we disregard our deep dependence. And yet our, our self-sufficiency is built upon a foundation of dependence upon God for the most basic and fundamental of things that we so easily overlook. I'm talking about the breath in our lungs, the beating of our heart, the fact that the planet is tilted at precisely 23.5 degrees from the sun, which makes life possible, all of that. And yet all he hears from us and all we offer to others is, I've got this, I'm okay, there's enough within me, I can handle this. And so when you, when you pray the prayer, give us, give me this day our daily bread, what you're, what you're admitting is that I am dependent upon you for the fundamental things. I am breaking the facade of my self-sufficiency and admitting that I am deeply dependent upon you for bread. And when I say bread, I mean the breath in my lungs. I mean the electrical impulses that regulate the beating of my heart. The sun, the earth, the stars, the sky, you, you hold it all together. And if you were to let go, I have nothing. That's what it means to say, give me today my daily bread. I am deeply dependent. And when we're willing to admit our deep dependence, God is glorified and he's honored. Yes, because he deserves that recognition, but so often... His own creation fails to offer it to him. Give us this day our daily bread. I am deeply and fundamentally dependent upon you. The other thing that this prayer forms in us, not just an awareness of our deep dependence, but it, it realigns us to the reality of God's abundance, of God's incredible ability to provide for us. I have deep need. God is ready and able and willing to provide. When I was young, like early elementary age, my family and I, we would go to, we would go to Sunday lunch at my grandfather's house just about every week. And, and very often, we'd arrive there right about the time that he was getting home from the grocery store and he was unloading carts full of canned goods into his already overstuffed pantry. It seemed like every week he would buy a good 50 to 80 pounds of cream of mushroom soup and pack it into his pantry. And I remember on more than one occasion asking my mom, why, why did grandma and grandpa buy so much stuff for their pantry? They already have a ton of stuff. It's just the two of them. We don't eat that much. We only come over once a week. Why do they need so much? They could open up their own store. And my mom told me things like, my grandparents lived through something called the Depression 
and they survived, lived through World War II. And so they knew what it was like for things to be scarce. They knew what it felt like to go without. And so for them, a full pantry wasn't just about a full pantry. It was about a peace-filled heart. To have a pantry full of cream of mushroom soup and tuna fish put their hearts at ease. It's very easy for us to fall into an attitude and a mindset of scarcity. And sometimes for, for understandable reasons, some of us have been through some stuff. We've gone through without some things. We've lived through some real lack. And so it's very easy for us to think, well, I, I don't want to go without again. I don't want my hands to be empty. I don't want to be, I don't want to be caught with nothing. And so we start to hoard things that we think are going to bring us peace. And for, and for some people, it's canned goods. For, for other people, it's, it's knowledge. You want to know all the things because you don't want to be caught off guard. So you read all the books, you scan all the articles, you listen to all the podcasts. For other people, it's, it's relationships. Like you, you don't want to ever be alone. And so you gather friends like trophies. You know what it is for, for me? And I, I, I'm a bit embarrassed to admit this, but you know what it is for me? For me, it's, it's often been technology. I don't want to be the guy who doesn't have the latest cool gadget or thing. And I think, you know, I think my counselor would tell you that it probably stems back from my childhood when, you know, we didn't have the cool new video game system that the other kids have. I remember trading, trading my old dirt bike one time for a used Sega Genesis, and that was awesome. And so very often, I don't want to be the guy that can't afford or doesn't have the latest piece of technology, and so I will upgrade my iPhone way before I actually need to. Or I will go out of my way to convince my very frugal wife that we need a brand new television and she will tell me we don't need a new television. Which, by the way, we do actually need a new television. So if you see her today, just like put in, a, put in a good word for me now. They have like 8K, like round one. Like we don't have that, so we might need that. We hoard the things that we think are going to give us peace. And yet when we pray, you know, give me today my daily bread, but we're... What we're admitting is not just our dependence, but what we are confessing is a belief in God's abundance. He can meet that and any need. In fact, that's what Paul says in the words we heard earlier. Listen to this, Philippians chapter four. My God will supply every need of yours. Think about that. Think about the statement he's making. My God will supply every need of yours. What are the fundamental needs that you have? My God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. To our God and Father be glory forever and ever. Amen. The abundance of God, his ability to provide, is part of the heart of the gospel message, the good news message of Christianity. There is this massive gap between your, your brokenness and sinfulness and God's holiness. There is a, there is a deficit. There is a giant hole between, between who you are and who God is. And yet rather than ask you to bridge that gap or fill in that hole, what God has done is out of the abundance of his goodness, the abundance of his holiness, the abundance of Jesus Christ who's lived perfectly and died sacrificially and rose triumphantly, that abundance, he has filled in that gap. He, he has closed that gap, filled in that hole so that now there is nothing between you and the Father, so that you are, you are nothing but a beloved, forgiven child of God, out of the abundance of God, he has made you his own. And the more that you, you rest in that, you are rooted in that, you grow in that, 
that changes your ability to see God's provision and his abundance touching every other part of your life. Because if God has so much that he can solve that problem, can he not, out of that same abundance, deal with your finances or your food or your, or your clothes or, or your health? If he's so generous and so abundant as to fix your sin and death, can't he out of that same abundance fix everything else? Yeah, he can. And then as you get rooted in that truth, that the same God who is abundant and generous enough to fix your sin and can also address every other daily issue that you have, what that does is that that then unlocks this ability for you out of your abundance to be generous to others. Because if you believe that you have a God who solves the problem of your sin, but also out of his abundance meets your daily needs, then you're free to take some of your things that you hold in your hands on a daily basis that you're tempted to have this really tight grip on for the sake of providing yourself with peace that can really actually only come from God. You're free to like let go of those things and respond to somebody else's need. Because even if me being generous to you creates a need for me, what do I believe? That my God will provide for every need that I have according to the riches and the glory of Jesus Christ. So, so I'm free to give, because even if me giving to you creates a need for me, my God has already promised to provide for every one of my needs in Jesus Christ. And boy, hasn't he proven his ability to do that? He can deal with my financial situation, because look at what he's done for my eternal situation. It's not just praying for, for daily bread. It's, it's, it's realigning yourself to the reality, the truth of your dependence and God's abundance. And, and then a beautiful thing happens when, when we are anchored in how dependent we are and how generous and capable God is towards us in all things. What it stirs in us is something really beautiful that we talk about a lot here because I, I really honestly think this is one of the keys to life. What it stirs in us is this beautiful thing that we call gratitude. One of the most underrated, yet transformative forces in the world. A heart of thanksgiving, being grateful. I don't know if you know this, but when you study like, like first century Judaism, the first century Judaism that then was filled with the gospel message and became the Christian movement, first century Judaism had this practice of, of something called the, the 18 benedictions. It was a series of, of prayers that would be said 18 times, three times a day. So in the morning, the, the observant first century Jew would, would get up and they would say, blessed are you, O God, 18 times in the morning. Blessed are you, O God, 18 times. And then at night before bed, they would say 18 times, blessed are you, Oh, God. But also in the middle of the day, they would change the prayer slightly. In the middle of the day, they would say, blessed are you, O oh God, who is able and abundant in forgiveness. 18 times. And the goal of that was, was to reorient themselves around the reality of God's goodness in all things, at the start of the day, in the middle of the day, at the end of the day. Uh, there's this, this phrase in Hebrew, hakarat hatov, which means to reorient or rehearse the goodness. The reason these prayers were repeated was so that they would be trained in gratitude. 
of being grateful to God for all things, big and small. I said at the beginning that what, what if the reason we pray for ourselves as encouraged by Jesus is it's not just to get something, but to become someone. What if the goal for God in prayers for yourself is that, is that you might become a grateful person? Because I, I think that the, the second greatest gift that God can give, second only to salvation, is the gift of a generous, grateful heart. Because I, I think that people who are rooted in, in gratitude towards God, they can withstand just about any storm that comes their way. They can be the kind of person who, no matter what is going on around them, they, they can say to themselves, you know what, I, I feel the ground beneath my feet. I feel the sun on my skin. I smell, I smell dinner in the oven. I, I can feel the grace that comes to me for every sin and every struggle from the cross of Jesus Christ. There's a whole lot of other awful things happening, but I can feel this, and I know this, and I can smell dinner, and I know I'm forgiven. And so what I'm able to say is God is good, and I am blessed. What if getting to that place, your ability to see your deep need, God's abundance in all things, big thing and small thing, stirring up gratitude in you, what, what if that is the height of Christian maturity? What if that is actually the goal of what Christians call sanctification? What if that's part of the meaning of life, to have the light bulb turned on, that everything is icing on an incredible cake that comes from God, and you are blessed What if the goal of prayer is to turn you into someone? And what if that someone is someone who at the most basic, most fundamental level is thankful? Gratitude is one of the most powerful forces in the world. And what if by getting you to pray, give me today my daily bread, he's pushing you Toward gratitude. When I was growing up, there was, there was one television show that we were not allowed to watch under any circumstances. And that television show was The Simpsons. If you were growing up, coming of age in the 90s, and you grew up in a, even a remotely Christian home, mom and dad, if they were being good parents, they were like, there's one show you cannot watch. You cannot watch. The Simpsons, because the idea of a kid saying to his parents, don't have a cow, man, was just way too crazy. I did manage to watch a good deal of it, however. <laughs> there, there was one episode in particular that got parents around the country upset, and it was in season two, and it was this, this moment where the entire Simpson family is around the dinner table, and they have some special guests over. Homer's boss from Power Plant is actually sitting there. Mr. Burns is there. And they ask Bart to say grace to start the meal. And this is what Bart says. Bart's prayer goes like this. Dear God, we paid for all this stuff ourselves, so thanks for nothing. As you might imagine, that, that caused a, a bit of a stir among some of America's parents. And, and at first glance, you know, I, I thought that the reason it bothered people was because it's a bit blasphemous. 
But now being a little older and a little wiser, not much wiser, but just a little wiser, I think the reason that it bothered so many people is not because it's blasphemous, but because it's convicting. We live most of our lives drunk on our own self-sufficiency, refusing to see how utterly dependent we are for the beating of our heart, every breath in our lungs, the rotation of the earth, and we dare to go through our days saying, I got this. And we overlook the overwhelming abundance of God and we refuse to be grateful. I think his prayer is convicting. because it reflects the attitude we most often carry with us. In teaching us how to pray, Jesus is inviting us into another way of being by saying, give me today my daily bread is encouraging you to confess your dependence, to believe in God's abundance and to become a person deeply rooted in gratitude. What do you need today in order to be okay today? Give us this day, Lord, our daily bread. Amen. You know, since we're studying the Lord's Prayer, there's only one way for us to close out this sermon, and that's by saying those words together. So if you're with us in person, I invite you to stand. Jesus' disciples asked him, Rabbi, teach us how to pray. And so Jesus, looking at his disciples with, with compassion, he said to them, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.